This is the Do Better Podcast with Dr. Megan Miller and Joe Smith, launching you into the future of behavior analysis. Welcome to the Do Better Podcast. In today's episode, we are interviewing Letitia Moreno and Lisa Pavlik from Within Me Therapy. This is Megan. And this is Joe. This is where we blast off to the final frontier in search of improving ourselves in the field of behavior analysis. Thank you for spending time with us and let us begin. All right. So welcome. Um, how is everyone doing? Good. Thank you so much for having us on today. No problem. No problem. I'm happy that uh, you guys were able to come on. Um, for our listeners, uh, we have two amazing guests that's going to be talking a little bit more about their services that they provide. Uh, this is Letitia and Lisa. Hi, everyone. Hi. <laughs> I'm doing right, well Meg- as well. I am. Yeah. I can't believe it's April already. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> no, I feel like I've blinked and time just, I don't know, I love spring. This is my season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I tell you what, it's um, it's amazing now because now I can grill and I don't have to worry about the winter weather as much. Um, last night I cooked kibachi, so that was like nice. spot on. Ooh. Like, Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my I got a big Blackstone griddle for uh Christmas, totally shocked, um, but it's been phenomenal because I can cook the whole family. I mean, we went from a household of two two people, just me and my wife, to a household of five. Wow. With oh, two wow. dogs. Yeah. <laughs> um, like basically overnight. Um, and it's been amazing for like breakfast, like if we want to cook um, dinner, it, it's just a big surface. You can cook anything on it. It's fantastic if you guys like to cook it's definitely one of those things that i love baking and all that stuff so i was like "Hmm, i'm gonna look into that i didn't realize that was a thing yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's an out it's a like portable it's like a grill Mm -hmm. it's like it's a griddle so it's yeah that sounds great (laughs) yeah Yeah. For me right now, it's definitely birthday season. I have four children and all of their, most of their birthdays are in like March and April. So, you know, when people say like, oh, birthday month, birthday season, yeah. for my family, this is like <laughs> birthday season. I my, um, one of my babies turned one on March 26th. And then my other son, his birthday was yesterday, April 3rd. Then we have another one, April 8th. <laughs> so it's like all close together. So it's really, we're having birthday cake like nonstop. So. 
Do you ever take like family trips or things like that together since they're all combined? Well, they're still in school, so it's kind of hard to do like the long vacation, but we do have one of my sons, his birthday is in June towards the end. So we figured we'll probably plan something um, once they get out of school to like all kind of take a family trip together. But right now it's just like, you know, weekends and, you know, just having these birthday celebrations <laughs> one after the other. <laughs> I tell you, you because my two foster sons, both of their birthdays were in March. And my my foster daughter, she is going to be um, one April 30th. Oh, so, nice. yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. So cake and pizza and Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. No diets right now. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Out the window. <laughs> Well, I'm going to jump into um, introducing our topic for today. So uh, Lisa and I had been connecting a bit over Instagram with some of the different posts that I had, and she shared some information with me about Within Me Therapy, which Leticia owns and operates, and they provide in-home services in Maryland, but they just opened a clinic too. So that's exciting. And their service model is pretty different. So we wanted to take this opportunity to ask Leticia and Lisa some questions about their experience in behavior analysis and share a little bit more with us about their treatment model. So, um, Joe, I have you down to ask the first question if you want to go ahead and. Yeah. So yeah, let's, let's start. So let's start at the beginning. How did you two get started in the field of behavior analysis? Yeah, so I'll go first. I started out as a special education teacher working in an early childhood school, really focusing on helping early learners. So children from ages one to about three were like my primary focus. And from there, as a special education teacher, I loved working in the classroom, loved working with children, but I felt like I really wanted to hone in on helping the family, the family dynamic. And that's really kind of hard to do in the classroom, apart from, you know, scheduling your parent teacher conferences um, and scheduling those meetings and phone calls with parents. But you really didn't get a true understanding of what their challenges and struggles were within the home setting. And so um, my aunt, who was a social worker at the time, introduced me to ABA. So I had no idea about ABA at the time when I was teaching. And she, she mentioned that I would be a good, um, it may be a good fit for me. So at the time, I took a, took a big leap and quit my job and went into ABA pretty much. I, I just went all in and um, I never looked back. I, I loved it. I loved working with, um, at the time I did early intervention too. So it was the same age group, but I was working in the homes. I was providing ABA therapy at the time. They didn't have the RPT credential. Maybe I'm dating myself, but they didn't have the RPT credential. And so I was an ABA therapist and um, I, I took classes and, and I went through trainings, through the different jobs I had. And I really just loved the approach where I was able to still work with the child, but also help the family as well. And so that's what kind of led me into um, applied behavior analysis. And from there, I just continued on. So I got my master's and took coursework and sat for the exam and things like that to um, where I am today. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. You and Joe have similar backgrounds too. He started in the school. Yeah, well. I saw you like that. So you yeah. are a teacher too? Yeah, so I was a special ed teacher for 12 years uh, nice. with um, a regional public day school here. I primarily work with second through fifth graders. Okay. Yeah, so it was a lot of fun. Our building held um, K through five, but I pretty much stayed in the grades between two and five for yeah. years. So, but I, I, I felt you when you said um, that you wanted to work with the families more and you felt like you could do more. And I thought yeah. that way. I got, I, that's how I decided, that's why I decided to become, uh, I mean, go through my coursework to become uh, BCBA because I felt like there's something missing from just being a special ed teacher. Um, especially working with um, children who are have emotional and behavioral disabilities. Just there, there's something else missing than my background in special ed. Um, but I tell you what, like since then, I never look back. I love what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, same background. And it's funny, my wife is a social worker too, so. Really? Yeah, she's a social <laughs> yeah. worker. Yeah, my my aunt has been a social worker for, for decades now, and I found it um, interesting to kind of hear her viewpoints of ABA just because she's coming from a different background than I am, but she's still able to kind of work with helping the family um, from that perspective. So I think that that's the reason why she knew that ABA does have like a teaching component and then that aspect where you're able to help the families and it's a nice, beautiful like blend and mesh of the two. (laughs) So that's why I really like it. Yes, totally agree. Like I love how you know, we can combine that teaching component, but also help out families. And that's so important. Right, right, absolutely. And that, that I feel like is something that's missing from schools too. It's just yeah. like helping out families. Like you can do all you can do with the children, but if you're not helping out at home and helping out the parents, then like there's going to be a disconnect. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I know some schools do um, take the approach of doing like home visits and things like that. Um, but I think definitely helping the family with um, reaching them where they're having those challenges really can help have those meaningful situations for families. Because when they're coming in and they're focused more so on academics, but at home, they're struggling with, you know, behaviors. Um, they may not be able to focus on, you know, the academic portions of, of what the child may, may need at that time because they're, they're too busy going through their day-to-day challenges that we may not get to see, you know, in the classroom. Exactly. And we want, that's a whole nother rap pull that we it can is. go into. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It definitely is. Hey, but I want to hear uh, more about you guys um, and your business model, what you guys do. Um, Lisa, can you tell us a little bit more about how you started um, getting into the field of behavior analysis? Sure. Mine, honestly, was completely by accident. Um, So ABA has been in California for a very, very long time. That's where originally I'm from. Um, And my cousin actually was the one who accidentally introduced it to me. So he was diagnosed with 
fragile X and autism um, at a very young age. Um, he started receiving ABA services and I believe late 90s, early 2000s. Um, so I would, you know, visit my aunt's house and I would constantly see these people coming in and out. And he um, wasn't vocalizing any mans or anything like that at the time. And, you know, one thing that they introduced to him was the PEC system. Um, so PEX, um, so the Picture Exchange Communication System. And I was like, wow. And so for me being so young at the time, I think it was like 10. I was like, wow, that's really, really interesting. I didn't realize you could use this as a form of communication. So I got to see the progress like, that he made over time. And now he's really independent. He still prefers to use his PEX um, binder and everything to communicate. He's helping, you know, his aunt during the day with her business. And at the end of the day, like he literally will pull out one of his icons, say like, hey, I want to hang out on the hammock and I want to listen to reggae music and just chill out. And I was like, you do, you do. And so I'm like, <laughs> we're all just seeing like that progress and like how, you know, frustrated he was in the beginning because he couldn't communicate to now he's able to communicate that he just wants to zone out STEM and listen to music. I mean, that's wonderful. And I really like that made me realize that I want to do this. I want to help children um, and eventually, you know, adults find their voice. That's beautiful. I love that. I love that little story that you have and how he's made so much progress because yeah. of just this form of communication that they introduced and he's just made so much progress. It seems like there, there's a lot of people that come into the field based on a family member um, receiving services or potentially could have benefited from services. I would love to see some research on that. How many people? <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, let's dive in and learn more about what you all are up to in Maryland. So I've talked with both of you a bit about what makes Within Me Therapy different from other companies. Can you tell us more about your service model and the focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah, absolutely. So um, like I mentioned before, where my passion was definitely with early learners, I continued that into with the me therapy. So we focus primarily on early learners as well. Um, typically, most of our clients are between the ages of two and five um, with, you know, little older ones sprinkled in there. But for the most part, that elementary age. And so because of that, we really hone in on natural environment teaching and helping children learn in that environment through um, play-based strategies and things like that. Um, we also heavily focus on parent collaboration just because, you know, they are young and this is the time where we want parents to be the most involved. And for the for the a lot of the times when we get the clients, this is their um, first time learning about ABA. So a lot of parents wear their wealth of knowledge to gaining access on information about ABA. So that parent collaboration piece is definitely important with helping educate our families on what to expect during sessions, what sessions should look like, um, and what their role is within um, ABA therapy sessions. Um, so we definitely um, hone in on the, our parent collaboration as well. And then as far as um, diversity and equity inclusion, we really want to create a community for our families just because a lot of families are experiencing a lot of stressors and things like that with, you know, 
finding out a new diagnosis um, within their family. And so creating a community for our families, we really think that that's important, um, especially because we have a lot of um, Spanish speaking families um, on our on our roster. And so we just want to create a networking community so that way parents know that they have additional resources that they can rely on, not just within their um, clinical team, but within our, you know, small community as well. Um, so creating opportunities for families to join together, whether that's through parent training groups and things like that, where um, they're able to um, work with each other. Um, another aspect of making sure that we're able to reach our clients in different ways is through our um, parent liaison. So we have a parent liaison on staff who's able to connect our family with different resources that we may not necessarily be able to provide due to it being out of our scope of practice. And so this is just able to um, factor in the fact that our families may be experiencing um, different stressors or challenges that we may not be able to address. And so just making sure that they're connected with those right um, people and those right resources. Um, so that way we can really factor in um, the whole family. Um, another aspect, hopefully I'm not rambling, but another aspect is we make sure that when we are disseminating ABA, that we are um, providing it in a way for everyone to understand. So like I mentioned, we have um, a high population of Spanish speaking families. So, you know, when we're sending out the newsletter, we're making sure that it's translated in, Eng in English and Spanish. Um, and when we're providing, um, you know, blogs and things like that, making the opportunities to translate it in their language. So that way they're able to get that information as well. So many different ways. That's amazing. I know we say that's amazing a lot. That's kind of, we should make that no, one of our okay. new lines. Everyone has their go-to <laughs> I especially love the, the translation piece of it. Uh, I think with traveling so much, um, I've obviously come to realize how much we take for granted, just like knowing the English language, you know, and not translating our content into other languages. Um, and it's, tricky because each area, especially in the United States, has different populations. So Spanish is obviously common. Um, I wonder, is there, in Maryland, is that pretty much the two main speaking English and Spanish? Yeah, I would say it's predominantly, especially the area that we serve, which is um, Prince George's County, Maryland, um, Northern PG, we have um, a high population of Spanish speaking families, um, but we also have, um, you know, families from all different backgrounds. And so because of that, um, you know, diversity to me is definitely something that's very important. So not only are our clients diverse, but our team is also diverse too. So that way there's opportunities for our families to work with, um, you know, clinicians from all different backgrounds as well. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah, we have similar here in Florida, um, especially down in, in Miami with there's a lot of people that come from Cuba. So mm -hmm. there's some some providers have people that speak Spanish fluently, and it's easier to find that, you know, in this state, because yeah. of just the, the makeup of the population. 
yeah, even with that, I still see people posting occasionally or families seeking help because mm-hmm. they need services, but they, you know, they don't really understand English well enough to access it at that level. And it's just, it's just an interesting, a frustrating barrier because I, it's like, we have, we have this information in our brains <laughs> and we can't like get it to each other because we don't speak the same language. And that's how I feel when I go to different countries too. Like if I only speak English and I don't speak the language they're speaking, there's so much I could learn from them. And I'm mm-hmm. not because I don't speak the same language as them and vice versa. And Google Translate's helpful for like short things, but mm-hmm. it, does, it doesn't get you very far when you want to have like a really deep conversation about something. Yeah, yeah. Or some things just don't necessarily translate the same way, especially for like, you know, talking about behavior analytic procedures and things like that that may not translate correctly through Google Translate. Um, so having, um, you know, staff members who can translate definitely is, you know, ideal, but not always the case, you know, because in some areas that, like you mentioned, there there's not a high population of clinicians who can provide the service to match with the clients that you may have available. So we, we do what we can, you know, and we just really utilize, you know, current staff and, and really um, appreciate the fact that they can do that for our families. Joe, did you have any thoughts or questions? I'm just in awe just because I'm thinking like in our center, like I, I have no way of, I mean, I don't know Spanish. Um, I mean, that would like for me, like, I don't know how I would be able to provide like, like parent training with that kind of barrier. And that, that has to be tough um, just as a clinician when you do have a family that has that um, English is a second language for them, like how to tackle parent training and deliver like um, deliver parent training, parent, parent training effectively to them. Yeah. So. I was yeah. Like, and so with that, I mean, I, I don't speak Spanish fluently. You know, I can I can understand and kind of get by, but I still need help from, you know, a fluent speaker to really make sure that what I'm saying is what I mean in in, in Spanish. And so um, I know Lisa's worked with a lot of Spanish speaking families as well, where we're able to either use Google Translate and then bring on an RBT who speaks Spanish and help them and translate during session. Um, modeling definitely helps as well to really help the uh, the parent um, see what you're meant, what you're talking about. And I think that that helps too. Even in the in the clinic now, where where we're able to do um, parent training here as well, just really getting an opportunity to show them this is what you know where we're talking about definitely goes a long way, especially if the parent um, you know doesn't speak English as their as their first language. So along with using Google Translate, it's also making sure that we're able to model and 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 have them practice and and provide them that feedback, provide them that reinforcement that they need to know that what they're doing is actually, you know, what we're looking for. The modeling is so key. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes that um, it really helps with developing our skill sets there because sometimes people just want to talk and explain and talk and talk. And they don't actually show someone how to do it or give them the opportunity to try and then get feedback. 
So that is one, I guess, benefit when you don't speak the same language. Um, you have to rely on those methods. And that's really the most effective piece is doing it and seeing it being done for training anyway. So um, that part, I think, is one piece I, I do like when I travel and I don't speak the same language. It's like, let me just show you <laughs> or you just show me. <laughs> And I love, and I'm adding onto that too. I love using video models with families, especially if there is a language barrier. And then if I do have a specific script, I'm just translating that into Spanish. And so that way it's easy, you know, you know, to digest and they can watch it on their own time because parents are so busy and I'm a parent too, and it's super overwhelming. So having access to those video models and having them in English and Spanish has been really, really helpful for our families too. Um, And Megan, I'm also watching one of your um, ethics CEUs. Um, And it was talking about, you know, really, really using behavior skills training. And that's something that our company is really, really doing from an English standpoint and also a Spanish speaking standpoint, too. So really, really bridging that gap and having those visual supports and having those video models and having all of these different things to um, best meet the needs of our families. And maybe part of that is starting with that discussion part and having our translators available and then working to the other parts of that, um, like the models and the hands on training. Yeah. I love it. I love hearing when companies are using behavioral skills training. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's such like an obvious thing in our field and yeah. it has so much research yet you don't see people. I don't know. I guess it's too high of an effort maybe to get into the habit initially, but you don't see it being used the level you would think given the research mm-hmm. we have on it. Very true. Very true. Maybe it is like the response effort with all the steps, like going through, you know, the instruction and then the video modeling. But it's so beneficial, like you said, um, you know, with with learning and teaching. So. Lisa, did you have anything you wanted to add um, about the service model? Um, I think that was pretty much it. Letitia definitely covered all the points that we were talking about last time. So, um. Uh, Oh, actually, no, I do. So one thing that we are actually in the process of doing as well, just um, because being a parent is so stressful, especially when you get a new diagnosis and everything, um, we are in the process of creating um, group parent trainings. Um, So part of that will be in English and part of it will also be in Spanish too. Um, Because, you know, it's a pandemic right now, especially when you have a new diagnosis, all these factors involved, it can just feel so overwhelming as a parent. And so one thing that we want to do is have parents sit together and say like, hey, I totally have experienced that or I'm experiencing that right now and really, really leaning on each other. And part of effective parent training is really addressing that. How do you feel as a parent? Are you stressed out? What do you need from me? How can I be better as a clinician to help better support you? And so really, really using that team collaborative approach is really important. That's awesome. I love that you really focus on like having that group time with your parents and letting them talk to each other and be able to express like, hey, I'm feeling this way and allowing them to have that space. Um, I feel like for me, that's as a parent, that's the biggest stressor is because being a parent sometimes can feel really lonely mm-hmm. and you don't and you don't know anyone else who has it having these same issues. And what you're providing is like really uh, a beneficial and needed service. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think just because we primarily provide in-home therapy, 
that those opportunities are pretty slim, you know, because you're just working with your um, clinical team and that could just be the the, the, the RBT and, and the um, supervising BCBA and that's it, you know, versus knowing that there's a whole community out here of people who may be going through the same experiences you are. So just providing those opportunities to collaborate and come together, I think is definitely something exciting that we're, we're really looking forward to being able to do. That's awesome. Do you guys use any type of assessments with your parents to like, measure their stress levels just to see if there's a decrease when providing these services? Or is that something that you're thinking about or yeah, so right now I don't use any um, formal assessments. It's more so just during our collaboration meetings where families are um, openly discussing their challenges and things that they may be going through. And then if it's something that may be out of our scope of practice, that's where our parent liaison would come in and we would um, have them provide them with extra resources. Um, because, you know, a lot of the families we, we work with have like really big stressors that we may not be able to handle. For example, homelessness or, um, you know, struggling with getting evicted and just um, lim just limited resources, limited funds. And sometimes those stressors take precedent over um, certain ABA programs that may we may want to focus on, right? And so just knowing that those um, families are going through those stressors, they are still important to us because we look at the whole family, right? And so mm -hmm. um, just providing those opportunities for us to... Um, have those resources available for families so that way we can focus on you know the the ABA program so to speak that we want to focus on or the skill set we want the child to increase but we really want to make sure that the family is in a good place to be able to focus on you know implementing the behavior plan as we wrote it um you know when they have food on the table you know so I yeah that's um okay Oh, I was just going to say that's that I, I love hearing the sequence there about going to the, the parent liaison. It really helps hit home that role. And I wish more companies had something like that. I think behavior analysts often find themselves in situations where they know the family needs something they can't provide, but they don't have, they don't know what the next step is. So having that next person is really helpful um, and really supportive of your behavior analysts to make sure that they're not taking on things that they don't have the skill sets to take on or, or even just the capacity from a, you know, human standpoint of like, they have right. all these job duties they're juggling and now they're trying <laughs> to help a client with this thing too. So I really right. loved hearing about that. Yeah, absolutely. And then I just think ethically, I mean, you know, when, when families are, um, you know, you're, when you're in the home and you're really seeing the family dynamics and knowing that this parent may need additional resources in, in you know, whatever area it is, um, you know, without just saying, well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I don't know where you can, you know, find extra clothes for your child, but more so getting them the resources that they need so that way they can focus on what we're actually there to do. Um, but we have to look at what that family's priorities are at that time. Um, even though you, we may want to focus on 
helping the child be able to tie their shoes. But from from what from what the family's going through, um, there may be um, certain goals or things like that that may be a little bit more important and socially significant for that family at that time that we should be working on. Yes, I loved that part too. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, because, and too often, oh, it breaks my heart when I see people post on Facebook or other social media complaining about a family not following a plan or something like that. And it's like, what? <laughs> That's our job <laughs> is to figure out how to set up the environment to like help them, not sit here and complain that it's not happening. Like, something must, there's other competing contingencies going on here and we need to figure out how to set them up for success. And I've just loved your description there as well for that. Because I think all of our listeners could benefit from hearing, you know, we hear about checking for setting events and um, looking at antecedents for directly for the clients that we're serving, but it's rare Mm -hmm. to hear people talk about, you know, what could be the different things happening for the implementers, the parents, teachers, paraprofessionals, like people were asking, to follow behavior plans, have stuff going on too. (laughs) Right, exactly. It's real life, you know what I mean? And I think that that's something that we sometimes forget because we're so focused on the treatment plan, right? And what's written in the treatment plan and making sure that everyone is following it. But we also have to factor in that factor in that, you know, this is real life. And, you know, coming from a mother of four young children, I know that there's always things that can interfere with me following a routine. Let's just say, you know, simple, simple as that, like following a routine can be hard just because of, you know, things that don't always go the way they should. (laughs) And so we have to remember that, you know, families go through the same thing as well, as much as we want them to, you know, stick with something, like you said, making sure that we're looking at any of those um, antecedent strategies and looking at what we can put in place, what environmental changes we can do to help the family or set them up for success. Yep. So, my question is: Is what what are some of the biggest barriers you you have experienced observing observed as a professional and or work for families in accessing behavior analytic services? Yeah, I think one of the biggest um, barriers or challenges that families face um, would be, I would say, that parent training piece. Just really getting that buy-in from parents, um, especially with um, families that are new to ABA and helping them understand um, what it what it is of their what they should be expecting what therapy can look like, all of the resources that are available to them, um, because sometimes they may not know what to expect in ABA. And so really getting that buy-in from parents in the beginning to show them like, you know, how ABA can really benefit their family, um, you know, is, is something that we really take take on in the beginning and can be challenging at times. But once we really get that parent involved and and they're able to see the child's wins is really what kind of helps them, um, you know, hone in on wanting to learn more and things like that. Joe, is that something that you've struggled with um, in the transition? You had mentioned before, like special education, to home. So in special education, you don't really get much interaction with the parents. <laughs> no, I don't. 
I mean, it, it was, I, I had more interactions with the parents more so than um, Pry and Jenna, just because of the behaviors and how we have to keep them informed. Um, but I do think um, the buy-in is the biggest issue that I come across. So mm-hmm. um, the buy-in, wanting to, uh, and just even, just even um, if we do assign a parent something to do from parent training, that, that buy-in to do it and do it with fidelity at home is a big barrier, I think, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, okay. Yeah, no, I was just agreeing with you, I think. And that's where um, that modeling comes in to show them mm-hmm. like, here, this is what you can do. Um, and really giving it in bite-sized pieces, right? Instead of having the parent feeling overwhelmed with all of these parent goals that we're expecting them to do, but just really kind of just like where we meet the child, like where they are, we also have to meet parents where they are, right? And so if a parent is new to ABA um, or they may not have the confidence to really kind of take uh take the initiative to say, okay, I'm going to jump right in and do everything, just kind of meeting the parents where they are and giving them, you know, bite-sized pieces of of ABA to kind of implement by showing, modeling for them, um, I think can definitely help with building their confidence to be able to take on more as the child continues their therapy sessions. That's great. I love the idea of like using, like just giving them bite-sized piece instead of like the whole pie mm-hmm. um, just because it's much more manageable for parents um, do you ever have a problem with parents fitting into their routine how do you how like because like I know we have a certain routine at night and it's very rich uh regimented mm-hmm. regimented and it could also one thing could completely derail the routine too at night but how do you help out parents um, taking these bite-sized pieces and incorporating it into their routines or do you model that or? Yeah. So I would say through um, my early intervention background, that kind of speaks to that as well, because with early intervention, we typically would use like a coaching model where we kind of come in. It's very, you know, NET based, right? You come in and you help the child and you help the family according to what their routines already are. And you kind of modify things to kind of help the family um, reach uh, or work on the child's goals within their routines. So, for example, if it's, you know, bath time and the family is having difficulty with that routine and but you can also incorporate different ways for the child to man for certain toys or, you know, during bath time and things like that. So I would definitely say um uh, working with what the family, what the family's routines are and just incorporating the child's um uh, skills that you're working on within their routines and modeling for the parent on how to, um, you know, how to fit those those skills in their in their routine. I think another aspect that we typically use um, is also like the coaching model of early intervention, where instead of just 
giving the parent the instructions, right? And say, this is what you need to do, but kind of forming it in, in questions, to, question based to say like, how can we, or what would be easier for you in this situation to kind of help parents um, figure out or come up with a solution on their own too. So it's more of that collaborative approach versus me just coming in and telling you exactly what you need to do. It's more so let's work together. What do you think would help during this, you know, during bath time to help, you know, him be able to follow your instructions? Like, what do you think we can incorporate during this time that would really help motivate him to follow you through with the instructions and so forth? And during that time, I think that that also really helps parents one, build up their confidence because they're also kind of coming up with solutions, but with our guidance, right? So, how, and, and how we would, you know, provide, um, you know, let's say differential reinforcement um, and how we would do that in that, in that um, routine, during that routine activity. And I love that. I love that, um, that kind of model and how, uh, you just help the parents with um, working on those skills. That's great. Yeah, yeah. That's the model that they're researching at Florida State. I mean, obviously, broad, you described, but they have a particular intervention called early social interaction where they're training parents and they train the um, providers on motivational interviewing so that it's more of a collaborative approach with the parents and not, like you said, just going in and, and doing it. And that was one of the biggest eye openers for me when I talked to a few of those trainers, because they don't, it's rare. I know we just talked about this um, being the best thing, but it's rare that they actually get in with the child and model things for the families. And I thought that was really like different. And the, um, the trainer explained that it could be difficult for the parents if they see basically a stranger come in and do better things with their child than they can do. So when you're talking about like building up confidence and success and whatnot, there's, um, so I don't know if it's research necessarily, or if it's just a practice, I didn't end up looking into that part of it, but basically their philosophy is that if you do that, you could be, um, creating either problem one, the parents will lose confidence and think, you know, even worse of themselves that they can't do well with their children or two prompt dependency. They'll just start relying <laughs> on the experts to like do everything and think that, you know, that's what needs to happen. So they, they will model if it's necessary, but they try to do most of the stuff through like role-playing and things, video demonstrations where they've taken videos of previous clients with their parents and stuff like that. Um, and I, I think like our field needs to, um, really, I, I would love to see the BACB include more in the task list on learning how to do this, like collaborative coaching and not just like come in and run the show. So I'm really actually, that's, um, as far as like, you know, getting more professional development and things like that, I'm really, really interested in that standpoint. And whenever I talk to my RBTs in general or clinical supervisees, I totally agree with you, um, Dr. Miller. Um, I really want to make sure that the families are first for that, you know, part of that reason, not exactly that whole reason, but part of that reason too. And at the end of the day, an RBT is great and we're great, but at the end of the day, parents need to be able to implement things. And part of that is like building that rapport and building that relationship and building that confidence with parents and all these different factors. So, um, 
I know we are on a podcast and everything, but if you do have <laughs> any resources that you're willing to share, that'd be super helpful um, or any links that you're willing to provide to help better support families just overall for anybody who's listening or for us specifically, I think that would be really, really great. Um, Cause I think that, you know, that, that whole component is something that's not really talked a lot about. Lisa, do you mean support them like resources for families to look at or resources for behavior analysts to learn Both. more about collaboration? Both. Both. Yeah. For, um, well, for the families, I, it's, if they're early learners, I always love the autism navigator site um, because they have a lot of information in there about, you know, what to look for and how to build like, um, Joe was asking about routines and active engagement and things like that. So that's one of my favorite resources for parents. You know, honestly, there's so many websites that exist and I've typically thought about them as beneficial, but I can't recommend any particular one at this point because I've learned so much uh, from the neurodiversity movement and things like that, that I haven't like thoroughly vetted <laughs> the sites at this point for, you know, how they, uh, kind of take into account, you know, the, the agency of the child and support, you know, the individualness of the autistic child as well. So mm -hmm. I know there's lots of resources out there that parents have created and that's wonderful. And it can also potentially perpetuate this, um, view of autism as a negative. So mm -hmm. I haven't yet seen one. I know like neuroclastic is one that's, um, yeah, that's pretty popular. She covers a lot of different things. It's not your typical stuff that a parent might want to go seek out information on. It's whatever topic she's, you know, passionate about at the time. But there are there is a lot of really interesting information on there. Um, and then for BCBAs that are wanting to learn more about collaborative coaching, um, Letitia, you might have some suggestions as well. I again, Autism Navigator is wonderful because it incorporates. They have a course, it's $600, but it's really worth it if you're, especially if you're providing early intervention. Um, mm -hmm. And they give you so many resources and materials to use, including questionnaires and things to use with families that promote motivational interviewing and collaborative coaching processes. So you don't have to start from scratch. Like they've already created some of the framework for you. And then any of the um, resources out there on motivational interviewing, there's a few new like books and things that came out, but I don't have them memorized off the top of my head. I just see people posting about them and then I save it and then to go back and look at, and I haven't had a chance to, but even there's some behavior analysts who have started creating materials on motivational interviewing as well. And that for me, that was one of the most helpful things and learning more about being collaborative. So Letitia, mm -hmm. I don't know if you have anything to add. Yeah, I know George Washington has a really great program. I'm not sure of the actual name of it, but um, for early intervention and using like the coaching model or motivational interviewing um, that I attended a few years ago, um, that has been, that was really eye-opening for me as well. Similar to you, Dr. Miller, where we're really taking a different approach for parent collaboration and helping the parent um, build up their confidence to be able to, you know, take what we're, we're teaching them and applying it and helping the child generalize the skills outside of therapy sessions. 
versus focusing on um, having the clinician come in and that's their time to sit back and relax and then, you know, leave and, and then hope, hoping that the child will just continue the learning process, um, but really helping that parent um, build up their confidence to help them be successful with implementing what we're teaching them outside of therapy sessions too. So I would say George Washington, and I can definitely um, uh, get get more additional information from you. It's just not all coming to my head right now at this time. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely put some links together and put them in the show notes for people that are listening. That was a great, um, great question, Lisa. Thank you. Yeah, and I think it's really important. I know there's another question that's coming up, but um, I think it's really important to have those resources um, and just really, um, and that's why I like the neuroclastic resources too, just really like understanding from the neurodiversity standpoint of it, like the services that we are providing, are they actually beneficial for our kids and so many, you know, different aspects. So um, all the resources, I will take them. And <laughs> I know our viewers uh, will probably be they're very thankful too. And I really like just as far as, you know, your Do Better Collective, you have a lot of great resources in your CEUs um, and that I've actually, you know, used with my clients specifically. I love it. <laughs> yeah, there is um, the parent training course I have. Um, I talk about some of this and give examples as well. So I'll make sure to include that in the show notes too. Awesome. We, we went, we dove in deep on that one. Were there any other barriers that you all wanted to share? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. No, I, w- I would say that those are probably our biggest barriers. I mean, as far as business, there's, we're always going to be looking for great RBTs, right? And so I would say that that's also, you know, from the business standpoint and not necessarily ABA. Um, well, I guess they kind of mesh together, don't they? So yeah, I would say finding good RBTs, finding people who are passionate about ABA is something that we always are doing. Um, so at times that could be a challenge, I guess, or just something that's just always ongoing, right? It's just finding good stuff. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if anyone has the secret formula for that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're doing pretty well, I would say. We've got, you know, some really great um, RBTs on staff. We have great lead RBTs, people who are, like um, Lisa mentioned, her supervisees who are, you know, um, collecting their restricted and unrestricted hours to sit for the exam. And they are really passionate. So when we look for people who do to join our team, we're looking for people who are passionate about ABA, passionate about helping families, working with younger children. Um, so yeah, but definitely. One thing really like, sorry, one thing I really like about them talking about my supervisees, I can't say enough good things about them. I like the fact that everybody comes from different um, backgrounds and different experiences. And so whenever we're talking about actually one of our current topics that we're talking about is parent training. So whenever we're talking about like parent training, everybody has a different background so we can learn and grow from one another and just, you know, professionally develop each other. And, you know, that may be something that somebody had never, ever thought about before. And like, Mm -hmm. we really want to dive in and find the research that supports it. So that's also why I asked too, like, do you have any good resources on that? Because those are things that I'm going to share with the clinical supervisees and really, you know, sit 
down and really think about the services that we are providing as a whole and, you know, how to be the best BCBA that we can be. And part of being the best BCBA that you can be is just really, really acknowledging that, you know, you're forever growing clinically. Yes, <laughs> definitely agree yes. with that. <laughs> I don't think there's ever a time that you can ever say that, all right, I know everything, I'm good. Like you have to constantly be willing to be open and always learning in new things and um, learn, learning new experiences with others. So like, I know for me, that's a core value of mine is just growth. Yes. And, you know, uh, and that has always been, even in, even when it was, when I was a kid, I love reading and growing and always pro- making progress towards knowing more. And here I am, 37 years old and not done yet. So. <laughs> and I and think hopefully that's great. in 50 years you'll see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't think you're ever done. And I think at the point where you think you are done, I almost feel like that's a little concerning because like, you know, you can always grow, you can always learn from somebody. And I love, you know, this is going to sound weird, but I think, you know, having a pandemic, there were some positive parts about that because it really brought out that virtual connection with a lot of different, you know, BCBAs and other, you know, professionals and things like that, where we can grow and we can learn from one another. And it really just um, helped open a lot of doors in that regard. Yeah, I felt like that during that time of the pandemic, when a lot of things were closed, like that was a time that I could really sit and do a lot more uh, trainings. I could uh, learn more during that time because everything was shut down and there was a huge presence online. Uh, where yeah. people just want to collaborate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I also feel like, you know, when you get to that point of saying like, no, I'm good. I, I don't need um, any more information. Like I'm good. I don't need to grow anymore. I feel that's the, also a tell, like a big sign of burnout too. Mm. Like you're burning out in this field. I didn't even think of it from that perspective, but yeah, I, I guess that is true. It may be, you know, because of burnout, And that's where, you know, you need to, I mean, I feel like, um, you know, within me, therapy is really, really great about this. And I really, this is what I, sorry, Letitia, I'm going to put you on the spot for this one, but I really, really appreciate about Letitia is that, you know, she is, you know, always willing to listen, always willing to collaborate, always willing to just take the time and patience for our staff members um, to make sure that, you know, we're not burned out to make sure that we have all of our needs, you know, being met and to make sure that we feel clinically competent. And if she doesn't know the answer, she'll find the answer for us. And she's just very, I, I've worked at a few ABA companies and out of all the companies that I've genuinely ever worked for, um, that team approach and being heard has really, really made the difference. And I feel, I feel more supportive some more supported here than I think I have anywhere else. Um, so it's really, really <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, that. Um, I mean, it's really, really nice to have that, you know, have, have that support. Um, and I know there's the next question too. It's like what um, on the list of questions for the podcast, but what was one of the um, thing, you know, the, one of the pieces of advice that you'd want to give to somebody else. And that's to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. You don't have to know 
you know, everything, you know, and one of the things when I was starting off before, I'm going to age myself too, but before, you know, the whole RBT thing was a thing. When I started off as a behavior technician, I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm done with my, you know, bachelor's. I've, you know, gotten my initial training. I feel like I have to know everything. And that is okay if you don't. Lean on the people who um, may know, have more experience in one certain area than, you know, somebody else. And that way you can collaborate together. So I think the overall general consensus with everything is that collaborative piece and not necessarily collaborating with our families, but also collaborating with other staff members and bringing everything to the table to where we are trying to provide the best services that we can. Oh, awesome, Lisa. Thank you. I, I really and truly appreciate that feedback from you as well, just because that that is definitely one of my values is to be collaborative and be able to, you know, take time to listen, right, and hear what people are saying and, and take that into consideration versus just delegating and telling people, you know, what they should be doing. It's more so taking that collaborative approach and listening and figuring out what we need to do to, you know, whether it's problem solve or improve things, modify things um, to make all of our lives, you know, easier when it comes to work, work related things. So great when you can find a place to work for, with or for that has that kind of value of collaboration. Um, and I, we can, I can just hear it as you two describe it. It just sounds amazing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I love our little team. And I think that that also kind of like sets us apart from um, other companies just because we do take that collaborative approach and, um, you know, and and we do factor in the making sure that our, our clinicians don't feel burnt out by giving them large caseloads and and um, expecting, you know, 40 hours of billable and all this overtime. It's really looking at the fact that we're all, you know, humans and we all have families and we all have other jobs aside from working with our families and just looking at taking a realistic approach to where we're able to make sure that we're good to be able to help the clients that we serve um, because you really can't pour from an empty cup, right? So we have to make sure that we're good to be able to help our families. And that's kind of the approach I like to take is um, I like to make sure that our our members are not struggling um, because I know that if they're struggling, there's no way that they're, you know, providing quality work. And so, you know, like Lisa said, making sure that we're, you know, taking that collaborative approach and supporting each other when, when we need to, leaning on each other, um, because we all do come from different backgrounds and we can all learn from each other, um, you know, because we don't know, we all don't know everything. So, um, you know, I also took the opportunity to continue to learn and grow during the pandemic as well. It's like we're all at home and why not take the opportunity to, um, you know, continue to grow, whether that's through professional development. I'm actually, you know, in a doctorate program. So I, I definitely want to lead by example and show that you should continue to learn and, um, you know, um, strengthen your craft as you, as you, you know, as you work. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we have one last question for you all, and we really appreciate your time and getting to learn more about your work. Uh, we wanted to know if you have any advice for our listeners, and it really can be anything. I didn't specify this in the question. I probably should have. It could be personal, professional, whatever you want to share. Just some advice for our listeners. Um, what would that be? Um, I... Oh, go ahead, Lisa. Oh, sorry. Ask for help. Um, definitely talked about it before. Um, but, you know, really, really ask for help. And, you know, like we had mentioned before, really leaning on other people um, and really having that team approach. Nice. I would also say, along with like making sure that you're listening, right, and taking that collaborative approach, but I would also say from a personal standpoint is um, to um, focus on one thing. I know that people want to focus on doing three th 3,000 things at once, um, but I know for me, when I'm really looking at, even with launching our, our clinic, Right. I would um, have a to do list of all the things I need to do to open up the clinic. Um, but I would um, want but my biggest focus is at that time, let's say, opening up the clinic. So I want to make sure that I may pick like three things to do on my to do list, like my top three things to do. Um, that's going to help me focus on my one thing at that time. Um, so that way I'm able to kind of get things done because um, I know for me before I would kind of like focus on these little tasks and at the end of the day, I'm like, what did I, what did I actually do today? <laughs> what did I accomplish? Yes, I may have, you know, made uh, a few, you know, uh, tasks completed. I may have done a few things, but what did I really do to help me achieve um, the overall goal or that bigger picture that I'm looking for? So I would definitely say to have that one big thing that you're looking at and just slowly chip away at that one big thing at a time. Shaping. I love that. I love, yeah, I love, I, I don't know. I, I love planners and I love like living a life that you're intentional about and setting like those tasks that you have to um, just be uh, do and that's important and setting that groundwork to being intentional uh, and getting things being productive. And I think yeah. that's the, like that, like for me, that's like the biggest thing that I'm always trying to grow and do better is just being more productive throughout the day and just living this life that I'm intentional and I'm fully focused on what's, what I have to do be, I mean, what I have to do at the present moment. Yeah. Um, so I can be the best person or BCA husband, father, um, you know, at that time. So I love that. Yeah, yeah. Such helpful so, advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It's it's easier said than done. I know, just just you know, with the day to day, but when you're consistent and you're disciplined, I think when you have those two things combined can definitely help you accomplish accomplish a lot. Totally agree. So we're about to wrap up. So and close out. So, but I don't want to leave without um, any lingering thoughts. So, I want to know if there's any closing thoughts that you have, anything that, you know, through our conversation you thought about and like, oh, yeah, this is something I want to add. 
Um, I would just add one last point to just factor in that, you know, our families are, you know, they have their own separate lives outside of ABA. And when we're looking at making sure that we're um, focusing on diversity, equity, inclusion, but to also factor in what our families may be going through at, at you know, different times in their lives, um, and to take that into consideration when we are, you know, providing direct services because, you know, families do have outside um, challenges that we may not be able to address. And I would just say to kind of, you know, making sure that we're able to factor that in as well, um, you know, when we're when we're looking at providing therapy for families. That's beautiful. I really love that just because like, I know just even talking to my wife, I mean, this is just one component, but grief, you have no clue what grief will do to a person and how someone will grieve. And that's a big stressor that all families go through at one point of their time. And maybe you do need to do, I mean, have another approach with that family at that time, because they're going through that difficult time of their, of their life. Um, And ABA and ABA therapy isn't at the top of their, list right now even though it should be like you're thinking it should be for that family it's not it's not and there's other things going on that we may not have any idea about so i love that point yeah any closing thoughts for you lisa no i mean i think you guys said it beautifully um i wholeheartedly agree Well, it has been a pleasure talking with both of you, and hopefully this serves as a a nice inspiration and model for our listeners of different things they might be able to try during um, their business, you know, working with their businesses. I know uh, you all are in Maryland. I'm sure, like you mentioned, every other company you're probably hiring. at some some point. Um, So I'll put it in the show notes, but did you want to say um, any information about your website or contact information for people listening in case they want to learn more? Sure, absolutely. You can find us on um, Facebook, Within Me Therapy, our website, withinmetherapy.com, and Instagram, Within Me Therapy. Wonderful. All right. Well, um, I hope everyone that's listening today also will go forth and do better. Thanks for listening. Awesome. Thank you for having us. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Go forth on your quest and do better.